Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. You know, this summer we had a chance, uh, not this summer, last summer, my family and I had a chance to go on an extended trip, a vacation of sorts. Well, it wasn't of sorts. It was, a, it, was a, it was a sabbatical, but part of the sabbatical was being able to go out west for several weeks. And um, I was reflecting on that within the context of the passages that I want you to look at. So open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. As I was reflecting on that, what I realized is that we have been on family vacations before that were not as memorable, or at least they were memorable, but just not good memorable. You ever had a vacation like that, where you were with your family, and you had that one teenage kid who was a real pain, or uh, you had a, a, that one adult who was a real pain, or whatever, and because they weren't into it, because they had that attitude, it just kind of messed everything up. But then you have those moments where you have the family together, and everybody's clicking, right? You, there, there's no animosity. There's no, uh, you know, there's no competition. You're like you're genuinely loving each other the way a family should. And those vacations are just the kind that that they they're implanted into your soul, and you remember those, and you're talking about them years later. It's it's is it, those special moments in life. Well, as I think about that, I'm reminded that that is really what the people of God are like. That we are a family, and that essentially we are on a family vacation. Because the Bible says that we're aliens and strangers. This is not our home. We're not of this world. Now, we are humans. We are flesh and blood, so that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we're part of a bigger family, the family of God. And so, so it's neat to think about the fact that this is a small part of God's universal family or God, God's global family. We've got people right this moment in Africa and China and, and in, in Russia and all over Europe and Asia. And, and because they belong to Jesus Christ, they're part of our family. And so it's amazing to me how this works, but we're just one small part of a much, much bigger puzzle. But when the people of God are loving each other and doing what they're supposed to do within the context of the family, there is nothing on earth that can duplicate that. Nothing on earth that can duplicate that, except for what we see in the nuclear family. The mom, the dad, the kids, right? So, so that's a small microcosm of what we as the church are to be. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 4, what we have is um, a description of how the family works and of how the family actually is able to stay together and be the kind of family that is truly indestructible and indescribable. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7, the scripture says, the end of all things is near. So when you see the guy in the corner with the sign that says the end is near, he's really just quoting a Bible verse, right? The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all else, or above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality one to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others 
faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. And if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. God's people said, Amen. Peter starts his, his, th- this part of the passage by saying the end of all things is near. In other words, there's an urgency. There's a reason for us to really think clearly about who we are as the people of God. And because the end of all things near. And notice that he thought end of all things were near nearly 2,000 years ago. And you know, every generation has always thought we're the last generation, but the reality is every generation could be the last generation. You might be the last generation of believers before the Lord comes. Do you know that? That means what you do will be the last that is done by the church in the world. That's kind of awesome to think about. But with this urgency, Peter says, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Clear-minded and self-controlled. Ian talked a little bit about this. There is a battle for the minds of human beings. There is especially a battle for the minds of believers. Why? Because a believer has the mind of Christ. A believer is a new creation. But because they're a new creation, they are an offense to the kingdom of darkness. They are a threat to all that the enemy wants to do. So the idea that you'll be born again, you'll come to know Christ, and then everything will be perfect and clean and and marvelous is just not reality. Why? Because you have just made an enemy of the enemy. You have declared war on him, and he was for a time getting away with it without you even or I even knowing it, right? So now you're not just going along wherever you go. You actually have turned around and you're going against the stream. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are different. You do have a different character. You do have a different calling. And you're going against the flow. And don't you know it's hard to go against the flow? Everybody else is going that way. And you're like, no, I'm going that way. Because that's where God has said to go. And the only way to go that way and not get trampled by all the stuff in the world is to be clear-minded and self-controlled. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I, but I want to just kind of, kind of pull this part of the passage out for a moment and say that just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you're not going to fight in the mind. In fact, I just said it, you're going to fight more, but particularly those who have had a Uh, some sort of an opening in their mind for the devil to work. I'm talking about if you've dealt with uh, drugs and alcohol and and, and addictions that are mind-altering, you have opened the door for the enemy to come in. Now listen, for some people this is just weird talk. But if you talk to anybody who's wrestled seriously with those addictions, they will tell you that it is as real as real could be. Amen? Now, if you're in here and you've never struggled with, uh, with these, the, the, this battle in the mind, you might be unable to fully comprehend just what kind of hand-to-hand combat this really is. I was talking with a friend of mine this past week, a couple of friends, we were in a pastor's lunch, and we started the conversation about people who are, are, are just hearing voices. They're not crazy. They're being attacked. See, sometimes we can label somebody as just crazy, or we can, we can put somebody in a corner and go, oh, they're just, they're just out there. 
But it's not, listen, they are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And sometimes we can go against the person and not fight the real fight. The real fight is the devil who seeks to devour all of us and more. It, the real fight is the, the, the enemy who seeks to come to steal and to kill and to destroy. Amen? All of us in this room know somebody who is facing this mental fight. Everybody in this room knows somebody who is wrestling with thoughts of depression, wrestling with thoughts of suicide, wrestling with thoughts of, uh, of, of, of wanting to harm others. And, and just these thoughts of worthlessness and, and all these things. All of us know somebody, but all of us know somebody that we don't know that they're actually dealing with that. Because for most of us, we keep this hidden. Most of us were too ashamed or too afraid to say anything about it. And so we walk this journey alone. And eventually, unless we get help, unless somebody stands with us, it crushes us. At 2 o'clock, I'm doing a memorial service for a young man who took his own life. He took his own life because he was afraid that the voices in his head would cause him to hurt somebody that he loves. He was desperate. And here's the thing. When you talk to his co-workers, they had no idea. None. They had not a clue. When you talk to his extended family, most of them didn't have any idea how serious it was. But the thing is, all of them loved him. All of them would have helped. All of them would have been there to lift him up. But he did not invite them into his pain. And so he wrestled and struggled alone, hopeless. And it eventually led to him taking his own life. I got to tell you, there's nothing more traumatic, more, more, more sad than that. If you're in this room today and you are contemplating ending your life, don't. Why? Because God does love you. And because ending your life doesn't actually fix anything. And because the people who have to stay behind and pick up the pieces are put through a torturous life trying to do it. The mom and dad have wrestled so deeply with this, and rightly so. Because what they would have said was, son, we will help you. We will go to the ends of the earth for you. They just didn't know. Now, I hope that somebody in this room who's contemplating ending your life, you will recognize that you're not here by accident. I didn't say that because I plan to say that. I said that because God is telling you the enemy is the one who's lying to you. You have value. Amen? Be self-controlled. And be clear-minded so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love each other deeply. I got to tell you, that is the thing that God has been teaching me over and over and over. And just when I think I figured it out, I realize I haven't yet figured it out. Have you noticed that? 
Love each other deeply is an agape kind of love. It's a, it's a love that is more than just words. It's a love that is action. It's a love that says, I will do whatever I have to do to love you. I will sacrifice. I will endure suffering. I will endure pain. I will be inconvenienced. I will give my life for you in the name of love. That is the command that God has for you to the person next to you and for you to the person across the room for you. Now, I want everybody to look around, right? I want you to look at the person next to you. Probably the person next to you is not all that hard to love most of the time. Oh, I don't know. You guys are... No. You ask my wife, I'm hard to love sometimes. Especially last night where at 3 o'clock in the morning I was coughing and hacking. And she said, Jimmy! I mean, she called me by my dad because my dad is always hacking and coughing. She, she was like... I, I, she didn't kick me out of the room, but, but she wanted to, I know. It's hard to love, right? But it's easy to love the person next to you. Now I want you to look around the room, and I want you to spot somebody you don't know. It's a little more difficult to love, right? I mean, it, it's not like impossible, but you actually have to make an effort to love them. But now I want you to look across the room, and maybe it's not across the room, maybe it's just somebody else that's not in the room, to somebody you really don't like. Do not raise your hand or say it out loud. I want you to think of somebody who annoys you. <laughs> Could be me, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't told that before. I want you to think of somebody who's irritating. I want you to think of somebody who you just don't care for. The Bible says love each other deeply except the ones who annoy you. Love each other deeply except for the ones who are different from you. No, it says love each other deeply deeply, especially the ones who annoy you. Because if you look at what Jesus said, that's essentially what he said. If your enemy calls you to do one thing, give him double, right? That's what it's about the guy. He said, uh, he, said uh, he, he, he scrubbed the thing of a jiggy and a genie came out. And uh, the genie said, I'll, I'll give you anything you want, but I have to tell you, I have to give your ex-wife twice as much. He goes, okay, I want you to beat me half to death. <laughs> just a joke just a joke I don't recommend doing that I don't even know where that came from self-control what was that thing about the mind clear sober-minded right so to love each other deeply is not love each other when it's convenient. It's not love each other when it's easy. It's not love each other who are, who, are, or who are easy to love and you want to love. It's love each other even who you don't want to love because that is the way that we express God's grace and we administer God's grace to one another. I saw something in this, in this passage and in this whole study of, of spiritual giftedness and, and finding who we are in our special sauce. I saw something I've never seen before. Do you know that every one of you who knows Jesus has a spiritual gift? But the spiritual gift you have is actually God's grace that is played out as a gift or through a gift. And the gift he gave you is not the gift that you need. It's the gift that the person next to you needs. I was going to do an illustration, but I figured it would be hard to do it and, and keep everybody in, in the same, uh, uh, without just you know, going off rabbit trails. I was going to call somebody up, somebody up, and I was going to blindfold them and have them stand behind me. And I was going to give them a toothbrush and a thing of toothpaste. 
And then I was going to have them reach around and brush my teeth. <laughs> but then I thought that might be a little weird for many, many reasons. And somebody, depending on who I choose, might decide to take advantage of that. So I, but, but I want you to think of it. Who we are as the people of God is we are a people who together we are whole. But individually, we are not whole. Does that make sense? You are not whole in the kingdom of God without the body of Christ. You, are, you have a limp. You have a deficiency. Why? Because nobody is perfect and everyone has parts of their lives that need somebody else to help them move more towards being sanctified and perfected in who God has made them to be. And so the scripture says we're to love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. We're to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Who? Can we just take a moment here? You ever brought a casserole to somebody and, not, and, and complained the whole way that you're bringing it there? Have you ever helped somebody because they needed help and you, you mumbled under your, under your breath the whole time? You ever done something because somebody needed something but you were, make, you were sure to drop some hints to make sure that they knew how inconvenient it was for you to be there? That's what it means to be grumbling in the midst of hospitality. The kind of love that we're supposed to have is that when it's inconveniencing, we say, you know what? I'm doing this for you because I love you, but I'm doing this because it honors Jesus because you are part of my body. And when I help you, I'm helping me. See, we don't really understand that in our culture. The Western culture is very individualistic, right? The Western culture, when we make a decision, we make a decision for us. The East is much different. When they make a decision, the first thing to think about is, how will this affect my family? What will this do to my family's name? Will this dishonor my parents? It's very real over there. One of the things when, we were, when our kids were younger, Shannon and I used to tell the kids all the time, remember whose name you represent Said so you are a you know I just cue the music right the uh, the Braveheart music back in the back you know I'd be remember who you are right? that's totally a misrepresentation of Braveheart but you get the point it, I, I wanted them to know that that your name the Scripture tells us in Proverbs that a great name is to be desired over riches of gold and I wanted them to know that they carried my name and if they did something. That was gonna, it was going to reflect upon me. I didn't want that for pride. I mean, it wasn't an issue of pride. It was an issue of, I want you to know that the work of God in our family's life is being continued by you. And so you have this mantle and this burden of living up to the family that you were given to and that, that you carry the name on. Does that make sense? And so when we, when we are, man, I can't. When we are, are offering hospitality without grumbling, we're doing so in such a way that brings honor to the name of Jesus because it's not for the person, it's for him. The next verse says, each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. This is the part that blew my mind. Some of you have the gift of mercy because somebody else here needs mercy. Some of you have the gift of giving because somebody else has a need and they 
are, are on the part of receiving. Somebody in here has the gift of teaching because we all have the gift of needing to learn. Somebody in here has the gift of prophecy because we need to be reminded what it is that God has said. Some of you have the gift of serving because there are all kinds of things that need to be done and nobody wants to do them, right? So we have these gifts, but those gifts are for each other, not for us. But notice this, the gifts, when we act in those gifts, we are administering God's grace. When you bring a casserole to somebody, you are giving God's grace to them. When you help somebody to, to, to see that they are not condemned because they know Jesus, let's say, let's say since Ian mentioned it, let's say he, he falls and he calls and he says, man, I screwed up, I, I did something really bad. And when you offer mercy, with truth, but you offer mercy, you are God's agent of mercy to him. Your words to him are what soothes his soul and encourages him not to give up. When somebody is struggling with illness, your, your encouragement, if you have the gift of encouragement, causes them to say, you know what? I don't want to be here. I'm not enjoying being here, but I know that I can keep walking forward this day and the next. Do you see how this works? I say all this, I, I've, I've kind of wrestled with this this week because I thought, you know what? I feel like I'm beating a drum. I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over and over. But if we really were to get this, the picture that God would paint, the, the, the people that God would build would truly be an indescribable church. The kind of church that you and I would long to be a part of. I heard a story of a guy. He tells the story, a phenomenal story. His name's Tony Campolo. Um, but, but he tells the story of he went to Hawaii to speak at a conference. When he got there, he noticed that um, he was hungry and he had jet lag. And so, I don't know, two or three in the morning, he got out of the hotel and he walked down the street and everything was closed except for a greasy diner, a greasy spoon diner. So he walked into the greasy spoon diner and he was kind of the only one there. And the guy back in the back was your typical, you know, uh, white shirt with the stains on it, rag over the side of his shoulder, you know, the gruff, gruff uh, facial hair beard and all. And what do you want? So he's, he orders his food. And as he's just sitting there, these, these women come in and they were prostitutes. And as they come in, they, they're chatting and talking and they're ordering some food and he's listening to their conversation. What he hears is this. The one girl says, tomorrow's my birthday. The other girls say, well, congratulations. Congratulations, you're going to have a party? She goes, party? I've never had a party. I said, what do you mean you've never had a party? She said, yeah, we, I've never had a birthday party. You mean you've never had a cake? No, I've never had a birthday cake. Ah, oh, well, happy birthday anyways. And then he goes home. He comes back the next day and he talks to the owner. He says, hey, I, I have an idea. I, I, I want you to help me with something, if you would. said, so these, these girls who were in here last night, do they come here a lot? And he goes, yeah, they come in every night and get their food. He said, what if tonight we throw a party for her? Could you help me with that? He goes, yeah, I think I could do that. You, you think maybe we could do a little decorating? We could make a cake and stuff? He goes, yeah, I think we could do that. And word got around to the girl's friends, and it was going to be a surprise party. And so that night, late at night, all of these prostitutes come into the restaurant and this girl comes in and she's like, what is this? And they're like, surprise. 
This is your birthday party. And the woman just chokes up. I've never had a party who did this. This guy right here. Why did you do this? Well, because you needed a party. And the guy behind the counter, the owner, he said, I don't understand. Why are you doing this? He says, well, I'm a Christian. And I'm a part of a church. And, you know, that's, this is what the church does. We look for ways to bless people. We look for ways to enter into their life and to love them in the name of Jesus. He goes, you don't belong to a church that's like that. I've never seen a church like that. But if there was, I'd be a part of it. And isn't that the truth? The world is not impressed by our preaching. And the world is not impressed by our laser light show. And they're certainly not impressed by how cool our building is. And they're certainly not impressed by whatever activity we could possibly have. What they are impressed by is an attitude that is radically different than what you get anywhere else in the world. It's when old people and young people and white people and green people and black people and orange people and rich people and poor people. It's when drug dealers and prostitutes and single moms and, and, and moms and dads who've been married for 40 years. And it's when old people and young people and teenagers. It's when all of those people can be in the same room and say, God is our common thread. That is what the church is all about. The way you get that kind of a church, though, is when you discover your gift. Because your gift is not your gift. Your gift is on loan from God for the person next to you. Now, I know what I've just said to you was, is a pipe dream, right? Why? Because we're human, right? So you're like, that sounds good in utopia, but man... You ought to come to my house. It is a war zone. I love the way God designed this today. Because what we heard in a testimony was this. I'm born again, but I'm fighting. I'm struggling. I'm wrestling. I know God has changed me, but that change hasn't fully developed yet. So even though I have the mind of Christ, I'm still in a battle with my old nature, with the flesh. And see, this is where you come into play. Those of you who are spiritually mature, you encourage those who are not. Those of you who've walked through divorce, you encourage those who are in the midst of divorce. Those of you who have dealt with loss, you remind those who are in the midst of loss that God is still faithful. You, you, those of you who've dealt with addiction, you come alongside of those who are wrestling and can't even admit they're addicted and say, listen, I'm here for you. I told one guy one time, I said, look, the path you're heading down is going to leave you broken and empty and confused and alone. And everybody's going to leave you. But here's what I told him. I said, when that time comes, call me and I will be a friend. What that means is I will tell you the truth of how dumb you are. And then I will love you into being whole. And I have no idea if that will ever come to pass. But I pray it does. Guys, it is time that we as the people of God stop judging each other for our own brokenness. Amen? It's time that we stop looking at, at each other and go, 
you know what, they're just, they're just this or there's this. It's time that we look at each other through the eyes of mercy, the eyes of compassion. And it's time that we allow the spiritual maturity that comes through growing up in Christ to say, that's not the way a believer acts, but they don't need an enemy right now. They don't need a judge and a jury. They need somebody to walk with them. And it's time we start looking at stuff that, that the world thinks is normal and okay, and we say, look, this is not right. This is not the way to live. See, it goes both ways, right? The best friend you will ever have is the friend who will tell you that your breast stinks when you don't know it does. And if you want that kind of a friend, just have a child. They will tell you, right? And they will tell you at the most inopportune times, hey, daddy, your teeth are yellow. Thanks, son. But isn't it true? All right, so we don't have time to, to uh, uh, continue all that I wanted to continue, but I just want to make, make a note. Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 both have lists of spiritual gifts. They are not exhaustive lists. There's not even agreement within the church body of which one of those gifts are still valid today. That's a whole other conversation. But here's the point. There are gifts, and the gifts were given for the body to people in the body. In Romans 12, a couple of the gifts that I really, really uh, like to talk about, the gift of encouragement. I think that's one of my gifts. To be, able to, to be able to see the bright side of everything, right? If you have a person in your life that's like that, love them and stay close to them because you need them. Somebody might have the gift of serving. That's not my gift. Now, I'll serve. By the way, just because you don't have the gift doesn't give you an excuse not to do it, right? That, that, that's not what that means. It just means that some of us have the ability, the supernatural ability, to be able to do that perhaps better than we could normally. Some people have the gift of giving. I know a guy who makes, I don't know how much he makes, he makes hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. And I never talked to him without him saying, man, God gave me the opportunity to bless somebody. Man, God gave me the opportunity to give $100,000 to this thing. He's not bragging. What he's doing is he's encouraging me. He's going, look, man, I can't stop making money. But I can't stop making money because God allows me to use my money, which is really his money, for his purposes. And every time I hear him, I'm encouraged and I'm motivated to be more generous because I want to be like my friend Mark. How cool is that? By the way, the gift of giving is also a person who has the ability to see specific needs in people, be able to meet those. Uh, I know some people in this room who have the gift of giving, and they've just discovered it, and they are happier now than they've ever been before because they're able to operate in the gift that they know God has given them. All right, we got to end it here because of time. Here's where we're gonna. Here's where we're gonna go. Next week, I want to talk about how you find your gift, okay? But be warned, I'm not going to give you an A, B, C, and boom. You're not going to come to next week and leave, oh, I got my gift. No. I'm going to give you, I know, bummer, right? I'm just going to walk you through the, the process. Because finding your gift is a process. But when you find it, you have found gold. And I promise you, you operate in your gift and you are satisfied like you've never been satisfied before. Amen? If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, I want to invite you to do so. 
It doesn't matter if you're a drug dealer. It doesn't matter if you're a squeaky clean college student. It doesn't matter if you're a businessman. It doesn't matter if you're a mom. It doesn't matter if you're a child. The grace of God is offered to all of us because we all need it. So if you'll take a moment, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, just say to him, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin condemns me, and I know that because of my sin, I deserve eternal separation from you. But Jesus, I trust you. I give you my heart, and I ask you to be in my life. And I want to thank you for saving me. Take a moment now, if you will. Something today has stuck with you. That's the thing that God is doing in your life right now. Ask him, Lord, help me. Help me. Father, give us compassion and empathy. Lord, you've given us grace. May we give it liberally to one another. May we be the kind of church that throws birthday parties at a greasy diner for hookers. And Lord, I know that we'll get all kinds of flack from the holy people who think we shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. But Father, you all the time are in the midst of the dark and dirty because you recognize that those who are sick need a doctor. So Father, cause us to hold on to this thing that you've commanded us to do called love. We ask this in Jesus' name.